Hello and welcome to episode 78 of The Thing About Golf, our ongoing quest here at Golf Australia magazine to find out why people get so obsessed with this game. Joining me on the line now is this week's host, John Huggan, who sat down recently with one of the game's more interesting characters. Huggy, we all too often think modern golf is bland and lacks characters, and that's sadly often true, but not in the case of your guest for episode 78. Tell the listeners who they'll be listening to for the next hour or so. Yeah, well, it, he's he's always been one of the more, not only one of the more interesting people, but one of the more interested people on, on the tour, uh, Nicholas Colsart's. Uh, former Ryder Cup player from Belgium, uh, first ever Ryder Cup player from Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he, he's a, he's one. You know, he laps into cliche, but he's a cool dude, is Nicholas. Uh, he, <laughs> he's a little bit different. He thinks differently. He, he certainly uh, plays a little bit differently these days. I mean, he's uh, he's one of the people who's suffered most from technology, I think, because of the you know the advent of the or the introduction of the hybrid clubs, which have taken away the the talent that you require to hit long irons because there is very, very few people in golf, if any, that hit long irons better than Nicholas Colsarts. Yeah, indeed. You mentioned there he's not only interesting, he's interested. That's kind of what makes him interesting, isn't it? Because a little bit, he reminds me a little bit of Clates and Jeff Ogilvy in that hmm. he brings a perspective beyond just golf to his thoughts on golf, and that's always, I think, an interesting intersection. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably not the best thing to be if you're a one-dimensional no. <laughs> professional golfer. No, it, rounded is never an advantage. But he uh, he's definitely a rounded person. He's got, you know, he's interested in all kinds of things. He's a big big music man. Uh, he loves his music, uh, way beyond my uh, level of expertise in that area. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a terrific guy. I've always enjoyed him. He's a great guy to go to have dinner with. He speaks about uh, three or four languages, um, as you'd expect from a. Uh, continental. He, he played a lot in the UK as an amateur, and and as he says, he he picked up a lot of the the British sense of humour from that time of his life, and and he, he kind of gets that stuff, you know, which is unusual sometimes. Indeed. Speaking of sense of humour, the last thing I want to finish on before we go to the interview with Nicholas, I'm fairly certain, Huggy, you said something along the lines some years ago. I think you caddied for Clates at a Heineken Classic down here mm. in Australia. What did you say about Nicholas Colsarts after that round where you were paired with him? No, no, that you're thinking of Christian Severe, uh, the French lad, who who was slower than Treacle. I mean, he was. I wanted to kill him at the end of the round. He was so slow. But you no, know, no, Nicholas is not. He's he's a quick player. He's he's exactly the opposite. That's not what I was thinking. I'm pretty sure you told me that when you walked off, you said to Clarence, "My goodness, that lad can hit a ball. What a shame he's got no idea how to play golf." Oh, oh, that's that. that no, no, no. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm. That, it's me that's confused. Yeah, you're absolutely true. It was very early on in his pro career. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, in awe of the way he hit the ball. But you're right. At, at that point, he hadn't quite learned how to play properly, but uh, he certainly did that subsequently. That's telling in itself, isn't it, Huggy? Because there are few pros who do that. You go to a professional tournament, they all hit the ball well. It's very difficult to stand out in that sort of company to the point where caddies and other players look and go, wow, yeah. he's got something. Yeah, if he if he's hitting three irons, um, people do stop and watch. There's no doubt about that. Fantastic. Well, we're going to stop and listen, Huggy. I know you enjoyed this chat. I enjoyed this chat. I hope the listeners enjoy this chat. Here we are, Nicholas Colsarts. Thanks for taking some time. My pleasure. My guest this time around is uh, one of my favourite golfers. I can say that because he's sitting across the table from me. But uh, Nicholas Colsarts, all the way from Belgium. Here we are in St Andrews. But uh, I always start with the same question. What was and is the thing about golf for you? What was golf uh, for me? Um, I think um, the first word that comes to mind was um, 
freedom. Um, I was an only child. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of team sports and uh, being an only child, I always had to sort of uh, live in my own little fantasy world and you know having just golf clubs and a golf ball was mm. you know a, a thing with me where i could let my sense of artistry come out and play shots and find out that this was doing this and this was doing that in a in a golf course there was some sort of canvas mm-hmm. you can kind of lose yourself in that can't you yeah i mean when i was young yeah i i, I remember just like you know just you know, my parents would just drop me off at the golf course and I'd seen him again at six o'clock at night. Mm. Or, and, and so that's why I think freedom is probably the word that comes to mind. Yeah. And why golf? I mean, I know you're from a pretty uh, good sporting background. Uh, your grandfather, I think, was in the Olympics. Am I my great grandfather was yeah. in the Olympics twice. He was uh, head of delegation for the basketball team. Uh, he did the 20 games in Antwerp in Belgium and he did the 36 games in Munich. He was actually in the stadium when Jesse Owens, uh, you know, won, uh, did he see on the sprint. And, uh, I think he might have seen when Adolf decided to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, there was, uh, there's always been a, a big sporting pedigree on my father's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically the only thing we ever did on weekends was, uh, was, sports whatever it was field hockey or or you know my dad cycled a lot you know being from mm-hmm. belgium yeah, it's yeah. kind of like one of, yeah, yeah. one of the standard things to do so there's there's plenty of pictures at home if you if you dig deep into the uh the old photo albums at home everything is there's a lot of sports in there yeah and so why golf for you then why golf because my dad also played field hockey for about 20 25 years in first division in belgium and decided to hang up the boots and uh the, the the most similar sort of sport uh, was uh, was golf. So he started uh, only a couple of months before me, and then again, I mean, I I would always follow my dad, uh, whatever sport he was playing or doing, and uh, and so I started a couple of months after him. Gave me a um, a short cut seven iron and a bucket of balls, and uh, that's how it all started. Yeah, and uh, how soon did you? the addiction kick in because it always does for kids at that age. Well, I, I, I kept on playing a, a, a lot of sports, a lot of hockey, a lot of tennis, anything with rackets, mm. whatever it was, yeah. tennis, squash, uh, um, back in the day. But I, I, I the first time, uh, he, he would kill me for saying this, but I, I remember he, I, he was, he was giving this men's length club to drive for maybe a new set for him to buy and he was like ah oh, this is too long for you and blah 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 and I took the five iron and I had some amazing shots with it so that day I kind of realized that I knew more about this than my dad right yeah yeah uh, quite early I think I would have been like maybe 12 or something and I sort of I remember sticking on the wall in my bedroom all these things that I would cut in magazines whatever they were like clubs or golfers or golf related stuff and it was right by my desk in in my room so so I, I always, I very quickly had a strong relationship with the sport and I always um, identified myself quite strongly with with the sport. But I think when I got to 13, 14, that's when I realized like, you know, this is, this is really for me. Unusual in, in Belgium though. I mean, it's not exactly, I mean, there's been some good players. I mean, going back to Flory van Donk, 
in the fifties, who yeah. undoubtedly would have played in the Ryder Cup had there been a 100%. European team. Yeah, yeah I mean, of course. no question. Yeah, um, but there's not a great history of Belgian golfers down the years. I mean, you know, the, how did your friends react to this? You know, disappearing off to the golf course at every available opportunity. Well, well, then again, I mean, being an only child, I always felt a little bit of an outcast. Even at even at school, uh, I was probably one of the only kids in my class. Where whichever school that I went to, there was doing this amount of sport in the first place. So I always felt a little bit different than others. Um, and um, and uh, and and so you know that I would say that kind of not triggered, but shaped me into not doing the normal thing. Um, you know, I always think that also, you know, parents with kids, you know, the choice of school is is very important. And in my case, I was put into wrong schools. My parents had no idea what to yeah. do yeah. with me in a way. Yeah, <laughs> And uh, I ended up in the wrong schools and that almost uh, pushed me even more into feeling that I was different than others, uh, which... In a way, I think helped me because coming from Belgium, like you said, I didn't really have a lot of examples coming from where I came from. So I had to find the information somewhere else. So I started traveling on my own, playing the amateur circuit in the, in Europe and the UK. I remember playing Lidham Trophy and Brabazon and stuff like that. I was like 15 and staying on my own in B&Bs mm-hmm. with the Belgium Federation money. So yeah. I, I kind of had to do a lot of stuff or we had to do a lot of stuff by ourselves just because there wasn't somebody that really took me from a, a, a young age under under their wing because there wasn't really yeah. anybody to that could do that. Yeah, so you were a pretty independent soul pretty early then, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, you've always been, it strikes me, you, you know, yeah. I, I know you reasonably well, obviously, and yeah. you're definitely an independent thinker. I mean, does that stem from having to be at an early age? Yeah, I, I think I was, uh, I was always shaped into, and again, we go back to being an only child and, and having to find my own way of doing things mm. and, 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 and sport and, and golf is a sport that basically fell on my lap. I mean, I couldn't have dreamed for, a, there, there's not a sport where you have to practice on your own as much as golf. Uh, so it, 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 all these things put together, um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, I mean, it's still a miracle to make it out on tour when you look at how many people are, are, yeah. are, are playing this sport professionally, uh, uh at, at, in, in any, generation uh but uh but i was extremely lucky to to out of nowhere coming from a country that doesn't have history to be able to be this good and still navigate through all the holes and the potholes that there is along the way Mm -hmm. was there a you know light goes off moment where you think i'm good enough for this at least to turn pro and have a go at. No, I think quite quickly. I mean, I, you know, when you play all the, 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 the national team stuff, I realized quite quickly that I was the, the, the best in Belgium just mm. because I was winning the, 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 the junior championships. I was shooting better scores at that 15 that some of the guys were doing at 18. So I, I, I always, I was always the first to do well, the, or the youngest to do things. Right. Uh, I was playing, you know, the Belgium men's team when I was 15. Uh, and, uh, I, I was never, uh, well, not not ashamed, but I've always I've, I've always thought like I mean I can do this I can play against guys that are older than me and I I, I have nothing or there's there's nothing I don't have that they do. Mm-hmm. What age were you when you turned pro and what age were you when you hit this so, tour? So this is this is a funny one. So I um, I went and and played uh, PQ one and PQ two at the end of two thousand. So back then, PQ1, PQ2, you could still play in, as an amateur. But if you went through PQ2, you, if you qualified for Q school, you had to turn pro. Yeah. 
so turn pro heading into Q school, which back then was in uh, Soto Grande and San Roque. And uh, I decided to turn pro on the on my 18th birthday, the 14th of November, which was the on one of the practice rounds two days prior the qualifying school started, and I was leading the thing after four rounds. Yeah, impressive. Well, it's funny. I was talking about it today with with one of the guys I was playing the practice rounds with. I had no idea how much my life could change so quickly. If I knew what the consequences were of winning a tour card, I don't think I would have flown through the qualifying school as easily as I did. Right. Yeah. Well, why do you say why do you say that? I mean, were, were you completely ignorant? You can't have been. I had absolutely no idea. I always had the dream of playing on tour, but I didn't realize that you know that if I win the card there now this week in two That's or three it. weeks' time, yeah, I was going to tee it up at the at the Halford Dunhill Championship in Houghton in Johannesburg. Right. That never crossed my mind. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. And what was it? What was Q school like? I mean, it sounds like you sailed through it, but I mean, there's all kinds of nightmare stories from Q schools. I mean, you clearly haven't experienced that. No, well, not that early in my career. I, yeah. I just went to Q school like I was going to play the European Amateur Individual Championship, yeah. where yeah. there had been you an were environment. Thinking like an amateur at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, I always say also that if, if you had a TV crew following me my first season on tour i mean it would be an absolute blockbuster because <laughs> there's so many so many things where well, i had a lot of fun doing it but it, it, we, we just couldn't have made worse decisions well what's up <laughs> give me an example Come well, on. I've, I've, uh, the, the best example is is probably uh coming back so I go out Tuesday morning. I think this is like my fifth or sixth event on tour. We're in South America in Buenos Aires. And we go out Tuesday night and I come back Wednesday morning, I think six o'clock in the morning, just completely plastered <laughs> and bumped into the guys that were going into the bus to go and play the prime on Wednesday. I mean, like stuff you don't see anymore, but I was 18 yeah. and... and yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of, of, of very suspicious decisions made. <laughs> <laughs> well, the tour was a bit different back then. I mean, the, the psychologist, the, the old guys always say the psychologist was the barman serving them drinks yeah, back then. Yeah, I mean, I was never really a big alcohol guy. I mean, yeah. I used to go out a fair bit uh, just because, you know, it was my way of living, you know, at that stage. You know, don't forget, I'm, I'm 18 and, and having nobody to take you under your wing. I mean, you, I, I basically... It took me a long time to really understand um, what it takes to be a professional golfer, how to do things, how to go about your business. Uh, and also at the same time, realizing that I was jeopardizing my potential. Yeah. And how good was your game at that point compared with the rest? I mean, how did you, you must have had to look around and thought, am I going to be all right here? Uh, no, not at any stage. No. See, most people do. Yeah. That's odd that you didn't. No, no, I never did. I was never, I'm not a guy. And even now, I mean, having... You know, a, a certain, a certain amount of skill set, and I've always had since I was fifteen, sixteen. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm never amazed by uh, skills because I, I, I mean, of course, now my golfing DNA is a bit different. I mean, my short game is not as good as when I was young, but, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm never uh, impressed by the skill set of somebody. The thing that I'm impressed with is uh, the frequency at which these guys are doing it. Right. Like I'm, I'm not impressed by a shot, but I'm impressed at that same shot done eight times out of ten. Right. That I'm at that with age, I, I become impressed with. Yeah. And um, you know how I, I should have looked this up. I, you know, I 
Well, you didn't come prepared. I, I played ignorance. Well, <laughs> semi-prepared. I did take some notes. Um, how good were you? How quickly? I mean, you're talking about 18-year-old. I was, I, I, I was good. I mean, I think, you know, the best example is Didier De Voot, who, you know, won the European amateur uh, individual in, 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 at the end of 90s. And the first time I played with him, I was, I was 15. And he only, um, he only admitted this to me, you know, 10 years after that he said the first time that he heard me hit an iron off a tee, he was like, Oh, my reign is over. So I always understood that I could do stuff that other people weren't doing as easily as I did. So I, I, I always believed in, uh, and I, 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 I've always marched to my own beat as well. I was like, if I saw shots, I was taking them on. And yeah, yeah uh, like I'm not saying that it always paid off. Uh, of course not. But uh, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, and, you're, and you and you see shots, I mean, if, if you don't take them then, yeah. like, you will never take them in your life. Yeah, it's always struck me watching you that you're prepared to fail by by going for shots that some people wouldn't. Well, you're not, yeah, you're not you're not worried about the other side of that coin. Well, I mean, I mean, there there are numerous shots that I will have that I would like to well, be able to take back. I mean, there's there's one in Sweden in uh, in, in in the late two thousands that you know turned out to be basically a shot that um, didn't allow me to keep my cards uh, on a Sunday in Barsebeck. But but then. When I look at my whole story, you know, that happened and I went down into a really dark place for, you know, two or three years, but then I came back in 10 and ended up doing things after that, that maybe I would have never done if I would have stayed on tour and maybe took uh, things a bit for granted and didn't really have such a reality check. Yeah. You, you've kind of touched on this and I was going to bring it up anyway, but, um, and I've written this a few times about you, and I've always used you as an example um, of somebody that can hit long irons high, you know, like nobody else. Very few people in golf, I think, can match your prowess with long irons in your hand. But the thing is, you, you've lost a lot of that edge because of the hybrid club. Yeah. I mean, I've watched guys, and you've, I, I think you've commented on this, that you, you play with guys that can reproduce the shot that you've just hit with the three iron with their hybrid, but they couldn't come close with a long iron. I mean, in that sense, technology has not been kind to you. No, but in, in another way, you know, it's also a skill. Mm. I mean, take it, take an example like Miguel Angel Jimenez. I mean, he's probably one of the best fairway wood players there is, um, you know, hitting seven woods and five woods and, and finding pins with that five woods that, you know, other guys can't. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's just, I mean, I get, a, I, I'd get a bit pissed off. I must be honest. Yeah, I but I mean, it, it's it, there, there are other things to change in the game before banning the hybrid. I mean, yes. I mean, if you look yeah. at average Joe, I mean, uh, the hybrid has basically oh, saved his life. Yeah, I'm, so yeah, talk about pro level. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do about it. But I mean, I still have a soft spot for uh, two thirty yard forearm to a tuck pin uh, that comes, you know, from the moon and lands softly on the green, and I think everybody does. Yeah. And I don't see that though. That shot's almost gone. Well, I mean, you know, you still have your, you know, Rory Schwartzel was exceptional. That Ross Fisher is one of the best long irons up in the sky to stop to a dime. Um, I was good. 
I mean, there's loads of guys now in the last 10 years that have developed, you know, their skills just because of the, the, the speed and, and, and the equipment and the ball. I mean, yeah. the, the ball is basically what, what yeah. allows this, you know, to be able to, to send the forearm into the stratosphere at 230, 240 yards and get it to stop pretty quickly. What's your feeling on the the big picture equipment wise? You know, distance and all the rest of it. You well, know, you know me. I mean, I bang on about no, this I, quite a lot, <laughs> much to your amusement. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what's your feeling on it? I mean, well, wh- where should we go? I mean, where are you guys going to play ten years from now? Well, I mean, the ball, uh, the ball, the ball. Yeah, it's just clearly the ball. I mean, like the driver size. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe 400 CC max would be nice, uh, you know, to reward a certain level of quality of strike. But the ball, the ball is the biggest thing. Huh? I mean, uh, I know you go on a crusade about losing all these amazing courses and it's true. I mean, they're the victims. Yeah. I mean, no Sunningdale, uh, no Pine Valley, uh, you know, and all, and all that kind of track. And the, and the ones that, the, the, the ones that I grew up on, I mean, when you look at, one of the, you know, before we have this Sudal Open in Belgium now, you know, we used to go to Knock, um, which is an amazing yeah. inland golf course. But when I look at the irons, we were hitting into greens when we used to play the Belgian Open there with the Balatas and the professional balls in the end of 90s. Yeah. And you look at the golf course now, it's it's just basically, it's basically killed it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a shame we're losing courses, but the only problem is the ball. Would you haul it back how much would you haul it back yeah but how can you i mean well, the bigger the, the, the other question switch. is like yeah i mean how how, how can you uh but yeah i, I think it, and sometimes it's it's silly sometimes i just look at numbers i mean you know you're out in a rough it's downwind the course is playing firm you're expecting a flyer and you can hit a flyer with a pitching wedge it's going to pitch you know one 170 yards it just doesn't make any sense and you I'll go speak for yourself by the way no no but I mean every, well everybody can inspire a, a flyer from time to time yeah. but, but but yeah sometimes you look at number and it you look at a number it's and, and it's it's warm it's 30 degrees it's downwind and and it's it's like a, a fluffy grass and you think like this just doesn't make sense to hit an iron iron yeah. you know 180 or 190 yards if it's gonna if, if you catch it you know a bit flash. Yeah, so that's what I like about Lynx golf. I mean, that you're going to be playing this week at the Dunhill on St. Andrews, Canoustie and Kings Barnes is that the yardage is only a starting point. Yeah. It, the, there's another dimension to Lynx golf, which is the bounce and roll of the ball. Well, I played a nine iron this morning into the first. The first was playing into the wind and I think I had like 120 something yards and I, and I had a nine iron and I don't remember the last time I had a nine iron from about 125 yards. I mean, it just doesn't, yeah. it, it, it's a thing we don't do anymore. So it's, uh, it, it separates the one that are able to read the elements and, and shot shape and, 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 and strike the ball correctly. Yeah. The, I mean, I've always, I've written this a million times, but the, the golf at its best, certainly at the level that you play at, is an art form, not a science. At its best. Yeah. I mean, science has been really helpful in the last couple yeah, of years, you know, with the help of, of, of the things that we practice with, whatever they're track men or foresights or CG quads and stuff like that and fitting and, and, and all that kind of stuff, or even the, the, the way the clubs are made and, and, and the, the amount of stuff that there is for us to try. Yeah. Um, but, uh, where were we at? We were talking about just, you know, links golf and, you know, uh, extra uh, dimension. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I've always, 
also considered this a sport. Like I mean, I said to you earlier, you're talking about a canvas, and okay, what am I going to do with this? How? Because everybody's different. Everybody sees a light differently. Everybody has different uh, weapons to choose from. Uh, and and uh, some guy would be happy to smash a six. Somebody yeah. feather a five. Or somebody cut a four against it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this type of golf still um, still requires a certain level of creativity that is sometimes lost when you watch yeah. a normal uh, a normal day of golf on the PGA Tour when there's no wind. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. So let's get to the Ryder Cup. That's what I really want to talk okay. to you about. <laughs> yeah. You were part of the team, the famous team that, that was part of the miracle at Medina, which is uh, infamous, famous, depending on which part of the world you're, you're looking at it from. Let's uh, see from our side. From our side, yes, exactly. Um, you played uh, the most amazing, or one of the most amazing rounds in Ryder Cup history, partnering Lee Westwood against Steve Stricker and Tiger Woods. Um, talk us through that uh, and <laughs> what that was like. I mean, you. I mean, I've talked to Lee Westwood about it, and he just shakes his head. I mean, you just hold everything. He said, "Yeah, but it, it's funny because I went back to Medina." For the first time in uh, 10 years when I did TV commentary at Whistling Straits. And when you look at the TV uh, footage or the highlights of the round, it looks like I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong, I hold a lot of putts, but on TV, it looks like I'm, I keep on holding these 20, 30 footers. Yeah. But walking on the greens again for the first time in 10 years, I realized that these greens were actually quite small. So I actually hold a lot of very makeable stuff. Right what i mean the succession of them yeah, made it, all of them yeah, yeah. and, and uh, i missed a few actually yeah, yeah <laughs> okay. i missed a few i mean i lipped <laughs> i lipped out um, i mean i shaved a hole on first i horseshoed on three i missed a very makeable one on six uh and two part of the last so you know there's still a, f a few more to make but yeah. yeah when when you when you when you look at uh, the way the 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 match happened and what I was able to do. Um, I mean, in a career, you have your three rounds and I'm extremely lucky that one of my three rounds happens to be my first round at the Ryder Cup yeah. in America, being shout out all day and playing with one of, you know, our biggest um, European point scorer mm. against arguably one of the two best golfers that's ever lived and Steve Stricker that also quite a, a decent resume. Yeah. So what was that like then? I mean, and what sort of reaction did you get from Tiger? Um, Tiger was fine. I, I, you know, when I shook hands with everyone on 18, uh, Stricker, I think had a bit, had a bit sour because he looked at me and went good putting. <laughs> and I was like, I think it's a bit, yeah, I thought it was a bit of a low blow. There's for, two ways for, you could for, take that yeah. for somebody that's that have that the putter was probably yeah. what well, you know. He's made a living from being a putter. I yeah. was going to say, yeah, um, but Tiger was good playing, man. So um, when you've got you know, it's like you playing Federer and you give him six two six two and he looks at you and go well played. You yeah, <laughs> you you yeah. kind of realize you've done something, you know, quite good. Yeah, I mean, what was your sort of feeling when you got into that? I mean, this is your first game, as you said, at your first Ryder Cup. It's all new. I mean, what were you feeling like before? I mean, was it a kind of feeling of huge relief that you played that well? Or, I mean, what, what was going through your well, mind? Well, there was a huge sense of relief when Tiger missed his 15th footer on the last. <laughs> right. So, um, so I too, but I too put it on 18. 
And the funny part of the story is, is me going over to Westwood's, you know, Tiger still having 15 foot to a 15 foot putt to half the yeah. game. And I go to Westwood and I'm like, I, I don't know if I have the balls to watch this. And he looks at me with a big smile and goes, might as well watch it. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, if you look at the images when, when Tiger's putt slips by, I mean, there's like a, there's a bit of a shoulder drop as in like, mm. Like you, you, you slowly realize like, oh my God, what, what did just happen? Yeah. Well, um, the adrenaline just goes out of you immediately. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah, it does. And I think, and I think it, it, it's, it's maybe one of the reasons also that, you know, that, that first round took so much out of me, um, emotionally wise that I wasn't able to keep that level the, 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 the next two days. Yeah. Cause the, you played the next day on the, as a result, I'm sure of how well you played in that round in a game that you probably wouldn't have played in 100% yeah I mean I think you've talked to me before was it with Sergio yeah so I'm so I mean they want to ride the horse yeah of course so well of course I mean you've got this I understand guy. why you were playing but it, no, it seemed to me I mean you've told it's me it's a question before. to be asked as yeah. a captain of course yeah. like what do we do with this yeah or we just rest him in stick the morning the and or, yeah. stick to to the four balls but it, it seemed like there was already a bit of a sense of panic mm. And so I'm basically talking for the first time with Sergio in the car at six o'clock in the morning, heading to the golf course. I had never, we, we had never played together ever. Right. The first time that we looked at each other and winked at each other was at Wyndham, which was a month before that, that he won to get in the team. And I remember being on the first tee on Sunday and I was maybe like fifth group out and he came to the tee to get a team to, to get a pin sheet. Right. And it's the first time that we basically looked at each other. Cause he was also on a mission to try to make yeah, the team. Yeah. So was I. And that's the first time that we basically locked eyes one another. And this is a month before the Ryder Cup. We'd never played together ever. So yeah. all of a sudden you're playing a foursome with somebody that you don't even know the guy. Especially foursomes. I mean, uh, yeah, if there's one format of play that where you need a little bit of, uh, of, of understanding of one another is, yeah. is definitely foursomes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, alternate shot, you call it, no? No, Don't you call no, it no. Stop, stop. <laughs> I couldn't, sorry, I, I couldn't resist. You, you, I couldn't you, resist. And you've used pin position already. I, we've got, I insist on hole location. Sorry. What's the other one? It was tied. I was watching yeah. the president's Or cup. double eagle. You love a double eagle, oh, don't you? Oh, God, come on. <laughs> but this, I mean, tied. Whatever happened to Yeah, all square. Yeah. And, all yeah. square. I know, I know. Yeah. It's this great language of golf has been. Jesus Christ. Where are we heading? Oh, where are exactly, we exactly exactly this generic bollocks that, <laughs> this changed roles i'm going to interview yeah new, yeah on where some, this game is going i know some guy from the usga <laughs> decides that you and i have got to use whole location oh god jesus give me a break i know so anyway um take me inside the the team room at the Ryder cup i mean what's that like that's always the bit of a a mystery to everybody else who's not in the team i mean what is it like i mean what and jose maria who's been on this uh podcast fairly recently oh, yeah. and, and talked beautifully about the week that he had i mean what what was it like for you mingling if you like well i never had a problem to be into a locker room because i came from a from a team sport background yeah. so i you know I, I understand that for some guys you know it's it, sometimes it's difficult to find your spot or how to act in a, yeah. in an environment I mean, what was your like role this in the team everybody's supposed to have a role yeah i didn't yeah. have a role i was yeah. the only rookie in the team and uh, i was just uh, my mission was i mean my mission my first mission was make the team my second mission when I got there was like, all I want to do is make a contribution. Yeah. And so, you know, my week would have been a victory. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it I, there was never a moment in that week where I felt out of place because I knew I was playing well. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I wanted to be there more than anybody else in that team. Uh, and, uh, and maybe also one of the reasons why I had no problem showing up to the first team and playing Tiger and Stricker. Uh, like, so yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, is that the sort of thing you're going to look back on when you're 60 and think, Oh my God, how did I ever manage that? No, absolutely no. not. No, because I knew I always had that in me. Right. And, 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 and I think I always, I'm not a leader, but I'm not far behind. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember also playing into a Royal Trophy where Chema was a captain and he sent me out first and I absolutely hated it. But then a Sevi Trophy, uh, a couple of years after that, I told him, send me number two. And I felt a hundred times more comfortable doing that. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a leader. I'm going to be one of the, one of the opinion, not opinion leaders, but I will throw stuff left and right. I know how to look at somebody and go, this guy's doing okay. Don't need to this one just say something nice there because it looks like that can help blah 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 I mean I can read a room pretty 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 easily and I think uh, and I think that's quite an important skill set to have when you when you walk into a locker room so what impressed you most about the behind the scenes stuff the size Mm. the size of the thing the size of the but the first striking thing is is I went before I got uh, I got on the plane out of London to fly to the real gig I went to Valderrama to practice for a few days. And I remember being at Valderrama and... Why Valderrama? Well, because we, we, because I, I won the match play at Finca, Cortesin. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Yeah. And, uh, and we were like, you know what, you know, let's go and stay there. And we, we actually struck a deal to go and hit balls on the podo fields. So it was just us mm-hmm. with, with, with a track man hitting balls, no shirt on, listening to music and, and just go away from, from, I couldn't stay in Belgium and do that in Belgium. I mean, imagine I, in, two, in two weeks or in yeah. a week, I'm going to play the Ryder Cup. I mean, nobody yeah. would leave me alone. Yeah. So Was when, it that big a deal in Belgium? Well, no, but I mean, like yeah, people would know and it would be yeah. just an absolute nightmare for a preparation. So yeah, yeah. we went down yeah. in South of Spain and I remember playing in Valderrama and I would bump into Swedes, Danes, Germans, and everybody I would come across go, come on, you know, we're, we're with you. Mm. And you realize, ah, yeah, okay, like you're playing for all these golfers all, all, all across Europe. And that's the first time you realize, okay, yeah, yeah, this thing is, this thing's pretty massive. That didn't scare you then? No, absolutely not. Not again. I was playing well. I was, uh, well, I, was I, I did, yeah, but I was, I, I did everything. And I think I showed my commitment to, 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 to the thing and how important I thought uh, or how much of an important role I think I, I thought I could play in it. Yeah. Um, and you have to believe in, 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 in yourself. Like imagine walking into a locker room and, and being afraid of your own shadow when you're going to go and, and hit a first tee shot in, yeah. in, in, in Chicago with a, with an army of drunken Americans shouting at you. I mean, you couldn't yeah. think of a worse thing to do. Well, that, how bad was that? I mean, Paul Laurie has been, again, he's been on this and I, I know Paul well because I ghost wrote his book for him, but, uh, he told me once that, that he was heckled on every single full shot he hit at Medina. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Listen, it, it was loud, and and uh, and uh, and they were playing well, uh, and it was definitely going their way. And yeah, the 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 atmosphere and the the, the fan interaction is is just day and night compared to Europe. Mm. So yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember playing with Sergio and 
Sergio would go would go back and forth and insult them in Spanish, just because you know it, yeah. it, it, it was it was a way of letting out yeah. uh, not only our frustration, but from the first couple of days, but but only a, a way to to you know to give it back to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's 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 difficult. Like I mean you you you're really being shouted at in a in in aggressive manner at times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the next couple of days didn't go so well for you on the course, but so you kind of your rider cut was up, down, and then up again at the end because the team won. But yeah, where were you? How much of the Ian Poulter stuff on the Saturday evening did were you taken in? Were you able to watch much of that? And and how do you explain just what happened there? Because well, you guys went in, you know, further behind than you were the night before, but then suddenly thinking you might win. Well, everybody's always mentioned, you know, this momentum thing. And, and, and yeah, then again, I mean, it's a group. It's a group of 12. And if you have the 12 on board and cheery and, you know, feel like something could be done, because that's the first time in the week where, where there was this positive vibe of, of looking at each other and, and really having everyone's back. Which is basically the, 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 the proper DNA and backbone of, yeah. of, of a team is, yeah. is like, you know, I'm going to give my best because I, I, I expect yeah. you and I know you're going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, there, there was a, there, there was a different vibe, uh, after, after Pulse and Rory won, uh, their last game on, on Saturday night and, and then everything fell into place, uh, on Sunday. But even when now, when you, you, you go back and you look at that whole story on Sunday. I mean, it's just like one miracle after another. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that had to happen did happen. Yeah. Just about. Not just our way, but yeah. miss there, there, there yeah. for, 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 for the other side, which when you look at the first couple of days, except for me and Rory uh, and, uh, and pulled, you know, like they were holding stuff from, from, from every direction and not, yeah. not really a lot was, was happening from, from our boys. Yeah. I've I've heard you talk about this before, and and you've talked to me a bit a little, a little bit about it. Is how disappointed you were in your own performance on the Sunday. Yeah, I was devastated. to the point where you were almost in tears. Oh no, no, I was in tears. I, 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 well, I still say this now, and I think I gave the match away to Dustin Johnson. I four putted the tenth, and then I think I was still only one down, teen. No, we're all square teeing for uh, teeing up on fourteen. And I lost 14, 15, 16, game over. Like it went from being, yeah. okay, this could go either way to losing three holes, game over, your Ryder Cup's over, BBC, Mike in front of my face, she asked me two questions and then exploded in tears. Mm. And I realized that my week was over and I could not do anything about it anymore and I could not help anymore. And I think that's what really, uh, really slapped me in the face and, and, and lost or, uh, and lost my marbles. Does that surprise you? Did that surprise people close to you that you reacted like that? No, absolutely not. And I think now looking back, it, 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 it is no coincidence that, I mean, I've always been quite a, a, a sensitive person and now even more so because life in, in, in general, but I, I was always, uh, I was always a, a, a softy uh, deep down inside there. Yeah. <laughs> that's softy. Yeah. That's not a word I would have tr- applied to you, but still. Because <laughs> yeah, you know the golfer, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, people that know me would, would, would have not been surprised that, yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, when it's, when it's a, when you're riding such a big emotional roller coaster, uh, and, yeah. and it, it's an, it's a pretty exhausting week. And, and, and then when, when, 
everything is done and you know the, the pressure goes off and the adrenaline is 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 out it's totally normal to uh to uh to, to just collapse but you didn't you, you know in terms of uh you were the last man standing yeah. uh, by all accounts no, last uh, the, player standing oh last player yeah, standing yeah, there was okay a few guys right. from the team that were still there <laughs> right. but they okay. weren't players <laughs> <laughs> well talk me through that what were the celebrations like wild i can only imagine listen it's quite simple from the moment uh, the last match was finished until uh, we got on the plane the next morning, I had a drink in my hand. Uh, and and it starts right away. Um, uh, but it, it's, it's more the, 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 the faces and the, 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 the outburst of joy from everyone players caddies staff the delegation that comes with whatever their british pga or yeah, yeah. or european tour or the fans that were there the families i mean that 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 team room was just it was basically a, a frat party mm. like a, an out of control <laughs> Uh, what's what's that movie where they go in Vegas uh, the four of them with the baby oh, with the sunglasses the, the old uh, guys no no no, no. The hangover or something. Oh, the, yeah 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 <laughs> it was like yeah. anything went mm-hmm. like if somebody was saying no from- you cannot do this watch me yeah. like it, it, seen it, from like, animal house. like it was <laughs> like it was on so um, what were you drinking uh, well I remember Westwood handing me a first vodka tonic at the press conference and uh, he kept on handing me vodka tonics until he couldn't take vodka tonics anymore. <laughs> so I had to find another butler. Right. But uh, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it's quite cool to actually uh, have a Lee Westwood as a as a butler. Your your first Ryder Cup is handing me drinks. <laughs> yeah. The, the press conference is one of the great things. Um, the winning press conference, at least yeah. at the end of a Ryder Cup. I mean, at, the one at Medina, I can still see Graham McDowell at the end of the the row. He fell asleep. Because he already had alcohol in him, you know, oh, really? an empty stomach, running around all day. Yeah, two or three drinks, game over. Just knocked him out. Yeah, you yeah. Know, he was actually asleep. No, no, no. I, st- I still had, I still had game back in the day. I mean, I hardly <laughs> drink alcohol anymore. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even last an hour. But in 2012, I remember Westwood also was saying that. Seen Nick, I've, I've seen Nick in action. He's got some game. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely proved that night. That yeah. So how long were you at? Did you make it to your bed at all? No, no. I, I, I think I slept for 30 minutes because that's one of the beauty of the Ryder Cup is that when I was told that somebody was going to pack my, my stuff for me, right. I was like, okay, let's have another one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember going into the bus in the morning, heading to the airport, singing loud out at the back of the bus with Westwood and his, uh, and his ex-wife, Laurie. And yeah, uh, yeah it was... Uh, it, it, it was it was just absolute chaos. And the funny thing is that when we got to London in Heathrow, I they all disappeared. Like Paul Laurie went his way, yeah. Westwood disappeared, yeah. Clarky, one of the assistants, yeah. was gone as well. And I'm I'm there on my own. And Chema, captain, tells me, "Okay, you you coming to do Sky News with me?" So I'm doing Sky News the day after. Uh, as the only player, and I have no voice left. <laughs> so if there is somebody that you can find for the it, yeah. Sky News interview the next morning at Heathrow with me having no voice, I'd, I'd pay big bucks for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we need to move on from that. Um, you gave the PGA Tour a try. 
Yeah. Uh, I always thought that there was two things that came to mind on that when I knew you were doing that, is that your game was perfect yeah. for that tour. Of course. But your temperament might not be in terms of the the lack of culture, for want of a better word, over there. I mean, yeah. there's only so many weeks in a courtyard Marriott you can take in the middle of yet another town in America yeah. that looks pretty much like the week before. Yeah. Um, is that a fair assessment of your experience over there? And I, I think it's a combination of things. Because it didn't work, obviously. I think it's a combination of things. I might have gone a little bit too early. Uh, I certainly did not managed my schedule and the amount of time I was spending in the US in the US the best the best way I should have maybe just go three weeks at a time come back instead of sometimes staying six seven weeks and only playing three or four out of those six seven weeks so I was spending a lot of a lot of time there don't get me wrong I mean I I, I was I was a member at the Bears Club in West Palm and you know it, it, it was an amazing place to spend time because yeah. it also allowed me to sit down with Jack Nicholas two weeks before I was heading for my first masters and telling me stories about every hole. Yeah. yeah. So it came with, uh, with also good stuff, but, um, you know, I grew up in the middle of Brussels. Um, you know, I missed Europe. Um, I missed my life at home because I was still living in Belgium back then. Whenever you go back to your hotel room at eight o'clock at night, plus six, everybody's sleeping in Belgium. So yeah. you, you're, you're a little bit stranded and, yeah. You know, again, being from Belgium, different culture than everyone else. You know, you've got your UK boys sticking together. Uh, you know, I saw I saw Sergio a little bit back in the day, but mm. but it's it's just not the same. They're not your people. Um, so yeah, I, I struggled uh, pretty badly with uh, with living in America. Homesickness, almost is it? Yeah, a little bit. I yeah. think I, I think I basically did a, a small depression. Mm. You know, yeah. without really understanding what was going on but uh but yeah it it was uh i remember i still see the bench that i was sitting on at houston so we're in april 2014 and i remember being in this bench outside the clubhouse and i was talking to an aussie caddy called bossy uh who worked for jeff ogilvy yeah, 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 yeah and and i was like dude i i, I just can't do this anymore I, I just need to go and he looked at me i was like dude if you need to go you go yeah and uh, I packed my stuff and uh, decided to come back to Europe. How long did you? Uh, well, I started to play over there, uh, I'd say about May 2012, uh, all the way to April 2014. So um, a, a good two years. And was I right about your the way your game would fit over there? Yeah, of course. I was in it, uh, 300 in the air. I was an unbelievable driver. Back then, I, I, I mean, I topped the chart in distance over here. Uh, I had an amazing second serve with my driver that would not leave, uh, that would not climb more than, I don't know, uh, 30 feet for, you know, 280, like a, 280 yards with like a five, tiger stinger. with a five yard yeah. cut. Mm. Uh, I was, uh, and I was, uh, extremely good to my arms. So from T to green, I mean, I, I, I could have been like a Davis Love type type thing uh but you know when when you don't grow up there when you don't go to university there i think and i never really dreamt about playing the pga tour it wasn't something that i grew up watching on tv idolizing you know it was just so far and and it's a big difference with the generation now i mean these kids are watching the pga tour and want to go and play the pga tour and that's their dream it wasn't never really a dream of mine what i really enjoyed is that 
the quality of the golf courses that you get to play week in, week out. I mean, that's second to none. Yeah. So why did you do it? Because it's the chance of the sirens. You know, you play well, oh, uh, you can go play these uh, seven, eight million bucks events on very well managed your courses. And like you just said, your game would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think, yeah, let's give this a go. And it's all exciting. It's new. And, um, and, uh, you ask for one thing, you get five, uh, you get red carpet treatment wherever you go. And, uh, I mean, would you rather play in France? You're a football player. You rather play in France or you rather play in Spain or the UK? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just very simple. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as, as simple as, you know, what do you talk to people about? When you're there, you touched on that, you know, there wasn't a lot of companionship. I mean, the things that you're interested in are not necessarily, you know, if you're not talking NFL football, I mean, Jeff Ogilvie, who I know well, he played yeah. over there for a long time. Yeah. But he, he used to. Comes uh, from an English speaking. His father country. was English. Yeah. So, yeah. but he, um, he, he told me that it, politically he leans a little bit further left than most of the players on the PGA Tour, which is not difficult because they're so far right. But (laughs) um, he used to, he told me that he developed a kind of 90 second to two minute conversation that he could have with them on the NFL, which he had no real interest in, but he paid him so that he could have the two minute conversation with them and not touch on politics and then move on. Yeah. I mean, is that, does that sound familiar? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, in two years, I have formed amazing friendships with people over there. I have met amazing people. Um, but I used to spend a lot of times with the Callaway boys in the truck. That was, I actually enjoyed my Monday to Wednesdays much more than I enjoyed tournament days just right. because I, I, I had a click. Right. Yeah. That I had a spot in and I felt comfortable in. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 we used, I remember I, I used to, oh, we, I, I went and bought tennis rackets and stuff and left them in the Callaway truck and we would play tennis with some of the boys early in the week just to kill right. time. Um, so the, the Callaway boys have, have, uh, have helped me, uh, or did help me a lot back then when I was, uh, when I didn't really have other people to hang around with. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving along, um, inevitably, uh, we need to discuss live golf mm-hmm. a little bit. What's, what's your view on where we are at the moment with that? Well, where we are with what exactly? We, with what they are proposing or the people that have gone? Because well, it's two different discussions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you start with one and then we'll move to the other one. I do agree with 54 holes. Right. I think 54 holes is a great thing to do. What I don't agree with the 54 holes is the shotgun and the team format. I mean, I just can't possibly think that a guy switches his TV on and uh, says, I'm going to follow the Nablex. I like the Nablex. Yeah. That just seems like <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't buy into that. Uh, wherever they take that team format forward. But okay. Yeah. I understand some of it, but no. Uh, and then the thing that I don't particularly agree with is, um, uh, the way that some people have, uh, handled themselves in the process and are still doing now. I mean, it's, it's just a, a, a bit sad to see guys that, I mean, a lot of people have said this, you know, PGA week is, is that there is no relationship anymore because, uh, you know, it, mm. it seems like, 
you point. know, we, we might say we feel like they've been brainwashed and then they're saying that we're the sheeps. Mm. So they, it, they, there's, it doesn't seem like they could be a conversation going forward because the two sides are just it's as, very as, 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 as different angles and as, as different ideas and, and basically in the end values. Mm-hmm. Would you have gone? I, I, yeah, I, I think that your if, time of life. I think that if I, yeah, I, listen, I'm going to be 40 at the end of the year. If I was still in the X first or in the top 50 or in the top 100 in the world, and they would have given me a two year contract to go play 54 holes tournament with no cut with music and enjoy my next couple of years and put my family at safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would have done it, but I think that I would have not, uh, criticize the tour that made me the way that some have done. Yeah. Where do you stand on the human rights aspect of the argument? I totally understand uh, why people uh, see it as a a, a problem or something to talk about. But then the other hand, I mean, when, like I just said, you know, if it was to put my, my family safe for two or three generations, you know, that's, you know, don't tell me that the human being is not a selfish thing, you know. So, listen, I understand both sides. I understand why people have gone and I understand why people have not gone. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be very difficult just to close the book and not talk about this anymore because they, they, it seems like they are, they are here for uh, to stay. Is there a solution? Is there a solution? Are they going to have to start talking at some point? Everybody says that. Well, I think that everybody wants them to be able to talk uh, and, and come to some sort of uh, uh, agreement. Uh, but is, is that going to be possible? I think with some of the things that have been said and uh, and the, the brashness of some of the decisions that they've made and some of the statements that they're making and everything, I mean, it... Yeah. See, that, I'm, that, I'm that's not so Michael, sure. And, and I've heard this from many times, and I kind of agree with it, is that if they are going to sit down and talk, the two things probably have to happen. First, Greg Norman and Jay Monaghan probably have to lose their jobs, you know, because they've, as you just touched on, they, they've dug pretty deep holes for themselves mm-hmm. and there's no real way back for either one of them. But if you got rid of them and had, you know, new faces, new voices sitting around the table, there would be some hope. Yeah, I, yeah, it's true. I, th- I think the the the... the Having these two guys in, in in a ring would just be an absolute bloodbath. So yeah, I, I don't think with the people in place now, they they could be uh, a solution moving forward. I think yeah, I think you're right. Do you have a solution? Uh, who am I to have a solution? Well, you've got an opinion like everybody else. Listen, I'm just a I'm just a, a, oh, you're a, just a, a golfer. I'm, I'm just a golfer from Belgium. <laughs> yeah, they consider yeah. they consider his his life to be an absolute miracle and and. Uh, what would I do? Uh, I, I, it's I think, not like you to back off. Come on. No, but I think, I think, guys, you've decided to go there. Stay there. Mm-hmm. We are here and we're doing our thing. You guys decided to go there. I mean, like, yeah, I think, I think it's just like, it's just common sense. Because especially when you come out of here, I mean, it's just like, nya, 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 nya. Yeah. <sighs> it's okay. Like, you just, just leave, leave the, the poor people alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's nine of them We're at, at the Dunhill links, as I said, in St. Andrews and there's yeah. nine of them playing this week, you know, and we'll continue to play until February at least. Yeah. You know, what happens if they win that court case and they can continue to play, you know, 
Listen, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. Thank God, I'm not in the board of directors of the European Tour because, I mean, you have to give in to them as well. It's been a serious head scratcher. So, I mean, I think both sides have done things wrong. Uh, they, they could have been a, a much smoother uh, um, environment to involve in at the moment if decisions were would have been taken differently. But you know, it's, it's. Listen, you have a business. These guys are coming with a with a much bigger business. You defend your business. I guess it's just like it's just normal stuff. I mean, if you ask people that are in finance and stuff like that, they'll tell you exactly the same thing. Yeah. So, why do you want to come and eat out of uh, out of our yeah. plate when when your plate is full? You have enough on your plate. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of a you follow cricket. Um, but the, the, they got the IPL, they yeah, which was a similar thing, right? Yeah, they kind it's of came along. Example, with, as in exactly the same with thing. huge happening. amounts of money, yeah, and they've kind of made room for them. You know, they've got. I don't know how long the IPL what thing lasts. Say a couple of months. Listen, I've had an Australian caddy for twelve years. I think I yeah, know all that. Indeed, and, and an show your wife. Never stuff. mind that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, that seems to me like a legitimate way out of this. Ultimately, is that the, the, you give them a couple of months or whatever of the year. And the players go off and they make all their money and then they come back and they play in the real golf. Well, they do the same thing in hockey. You know, they, they buy off players to go and play for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And then when that thing is over, they go back to where they yeah. played before. Yeah. But, but, you know, have them completely separate as in like, if you want to have your thing, you do your thing for, for, for X, but don't just come and go like that as you wish. I mean, I, yeah. Well, I see, the, the only pro downside of that scenario that we just painted is that guys who didn't, who were offered money to go and didn't go, decided not to go, are going to, if you let them come back in, they're going to say, well, man, I should have just taken the money. Yeah, but then it's a decision. You know, there's no consequences. Yeah, though. but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decision. You, yeah. you, you but you're gonna, there's you going to be big compromises if this is going to be solved on both sides. This thing has been, you know, in everyone's, at every table in Players' Lounge for the last year. And it seems like nobody, uh, like, I mean, you ask me, you know, what's the solution? <laughs> I mean, no idea. Absolutely no idea. Change subject. We're going to change the subject. And the, the last subject is um, certainly personal to you. I mean, earlier this year, I wrote a story, at your instigation over your health issues. Yeah. Um, what's that been like? Um, it's sounded pretty serious at the time. Uh, how are you just now? You're obviously better. Yeah. But and and has your perspective on life been altered by all of this? Well, I mean, no, that's a big that's a big question. I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, it, it's it's probably the biggest um, a challenge that I've ever had to face in my life. I mean, when you are somebody that's never had to go into a hospital, uh, and in you realize that your life can flip in. Uh, one appointment. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty hard to be told that I have something that only 15 people out of a million have at, you know, the moment where we're, Is that we're speaking. Important? Yeah. So it's, it's a membranous, uh, nephropathy. So basically it's autoimmune, uh, kidney disease. And the cure to that was to give me an auto, um, like a, an immuno, uh, suppressant treatment. So we basically, it's a slow drip and it kills the production or stops the production of antibodies to allow your immune system to reboot. Um, but I can't stress you that. 
you know, when you have no immune system in the middle of a pandemic, you know, the, f the first thing that the doctor told me was like, you can't get out of your house. And I was like, listen, I have a four year old at home that goes to school every day. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, I'm not going to be able to hug my kids for a year. Are you, are you serious? Like, I mean, how are you supposed to do that? Um, and in the end, I, I ended up living actually quite normally. I mean, I, you know, we, we, I did all this treatment in Dubai and I was in Dubai and everybody was masked up in, indoors and everything. So it was, it, it was fine. Uh, but being forced to be on the bench, um, like that, um, was, you know, pretty testing. Uh, one night I had cramps so violent that I had to basically open every finger of my hand. Um, so you think like, is this going to be my, uh, is this going to be my life? Like, Your like future. yeah, is this going to, I can't stress you that, you know, fingers and hands were quite, were quite useful in what we do. Um, so yeah. And, and my wife has been incredible throughout this whole thing. I mean, she's, she's studied epidemiology when she was young. And so she, she knew how to talk to doctors. Um, cause not only I was in Dubai, so all the doctors that I've met, I mean, I have a decent level of English, but you know, when you are a bit shaken and you were talking about a subject that you have no idea about in, in, in a language that's not yours, half of it goes right over your head. Um, and then I was really lucky also to bump into, um, uh, people in Dubai from, uh, Aviv clinics, uh, who have helped me through my recovery into doing, uh, three months of hyperbaric chamber treatment. So an oxygen treatment with a lot of different cognitive exercises at the same time, which is basically brain performance. Um, and so that became my life for about three months where I would go five days a week, two hours minimum a day, where I would meet doctors, meet uh, neuropsychologic uh, or uh, uh, neuro um, psychologists, mm -hmm. dietitian, uh, PT sessions. And that really, that is really what helped me to get the head, um, out of the water again. Um, so what was it like emotionally? Emotionally, it was really hard. It yeah. was, it was, was really the, hard because so I mean, tears you, were shed. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Leaders. Mm -hmm. We're talking leaders. Um, I remember I was in the hospital, I was in my hospital bed. Uh, and Thomas Bjorn texted me and I left him an audio note. Uh, and, uh, I don't think you can even understand what I'm saying. I'm crying this, uh, I'm, I'm crying that much. You know, you know, you're looking at pictures of your kids. Yeah. You think like, I remember, I remember also looking out the window and it was just Dubai desert. And I was like, is this where, is this where it all ends for me? Like it, like in in the desert in Dubai like you know in, in a bit in in an egoistical way I was like Nicholas Colsart is gonna die in Dubai looking at the fucking desert like yeah. no this is not the end I want yeah. or this is not the end I I uh... and what, what are the symptoms of that I mean... well I had um, I had uh, big oedemes um, or um, so I was doing water retention right uh, I had put on uh, I could basically feel fluids everywhere. I, I, the first symptoms were difficulty breathing. I had half of one of my lungs filled uh, with fluid. I had multiple blood clots in my uh, lungs and I had put on nine kilos. 
So my ankles were massive and that exploded the week I was doing TV commentary at DP World. Mm -hmm. And one of the other commentators was John Morgan. Right. And you know, John. Yes. I've known John 25 years. John is as goofy as it comes. And he was like, my, that's kidneys. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, you don't think that yeah. John has a yeah. PhD in yeah, kidney yeah. disease, right? Yeah, yeah. But his dad did the same thing. Ah. And he was like, my, that's, that's, that's kidney straight away. So he's the first one that pointed out that I had a kidney thing. And that sent you to the hospital. And, uh, and a few days later, I ended up going to the hospital because I really struggled breathing in the, in, in, in the morning and, uh, and the ankles weren't the only thing that tripled in size, but it's not that funny. <laughs> no, no, nothing's funny. People thought it was really funny. It's like, dude, no. really? it tripled in size. I was yeah. like, yeah, but trust me, it has a funny shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nothing's funny about this, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, because I was kind of worried about you. I mean, like everybody was. I mean, it sounded really serious. You know? Yeah, and when I came back to my first event in Abu Dhabi, uh, I really understood um, not how much I'm mean on this tour, but how, um, or how much I'm part of furniture. Mm. Because um, everybody that I would bump into, they had seen what happened or saw the post that I, that I had put out on yeah. Instagram was yeah. like, and, and I saw people looked at me and asked how I was with a different face. Yeah, they, they actually meant. Yeah, you know, they really meant like, did we, did, uh, did we really just almost lose you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, you, you travel four weeks a year with the same guys yeah. and, and you always think like you take lots for granted you do you? yeah when you've got your health yeah um, uh, 100% you do mm -hmm. yeah so what's the future has it changed your lifestyle at all I mean do you make any compromises now I'm sure you do no, well uh, yes and no I, 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 I try when I you know I was going to start to play again in the, um, from July um, and I was like okay like if we do this we do this seriously so now I travel with uh with um, not a physio, but uh, you know my physical guy, uh, yeah. because I also realized that when you don't play for six months or eight months, practically, you know, basically, you know, I, if I wanted to come back, I need to be ready. And you know, number one was being physically in shape, right. just to be able to you know swallow weeks after weeks. And, yeah, well, and, and muscles try. not being used for a while. Maybe. Yeah, and it's funny, you, you, you. I mean, I, I lost the first time I. I remember it was like, I lost a kilo of muscles just because I wasn't playing golf. Mm. It, it's really bizarre. And I'm not a gym freak guy at all. I mean, I, I, I don't really do gym. I do gym because I have to. Yeah. Like, it's not like a religion for me, like some, some of the other guys. Yeah. But like myself, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When's the last time you've been to a gym? <laughs> I walked through one once. <laughs> Well, because the soda machine was yeah, on the other side. Yeah, probably the TV was on. It was a football match somewhere. <laughs> you yeah. couldn't see from that from the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough of that, yeah. <laughs> so um, so look, going forward, I mean, you're going to, obviously you're back playing again. I mean, is it going to make any difference to your ambitions and, you know, your perspective on life changes when there's something like this? No, I, I think I've, I've been saying this for a little while. What I would like is to, you know, still enjoy my golf, do it properly, still be competitive and have the freedom to take the decision when I hang up the boots myself. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have the decision taken for me. Yeah. And I think that's, that's quite a, a, a serene way to go. Uh, you know, I touched a bit on TV commentary a little bit. Um, Can you see doing that in the future? Yeah. I'd like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I've always really enjoyed doing it. Um, um, then again, you know, you're part of a team, which is, which is something that I have a, a soft spot or, or can, I can really, 
um, identify myself uh, in. Um, and I, I, I like to transmit and share um, what I see, what needs to be done. Uh, not like I don't want to teach people. That's that's not my my goal. But but to go like, listen, uh, this happened because of this. This is this, and and make people understand, you know, the different layers that there is not only in this game but also in this profession. When you do this week in week out, um, you're not here to tell the guy you know what's on screen but you want to give him something interesting where you catch yeah. his attention yeah you give some insight yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why i like to also do radio because radio you could i mean i did the radio cup the first thing i ever did was basically radio the radio cup england eagle, eagle so, i remember talking to you and yeah. i was like and i was like this is really cool because radio I, I, it's I amazing always, how it works isn't it no no no, but it's great because you you you, you kind of have to portray the picture to the guy that's yeah. in his car or in his kitchen listening so mm. you, you you can add so many details yeah. into the into the coverage which you don't necessarily do in tv only if you do feature groups where you have a much bigger window where you can really you know, explain stuff a bit more in depth. Oh, that's for the future, though. I mean, last question really is, what do you see yourself as a player? I mean, is there any ambitions left? Are you a goal setter? What what's what's driving you I'm, on? I, at this point? I'm I'm not really good for short term goals because you know that gets me too excited, and if I don't really meet that thing straight away, like it it it, it kind of frustrates me a little bit too quickly, and I become impatient. Um, no, I, the reason why I, I, I travel with, you know, David, AKA Hagrid, mm-hmm. my physical guy is, yeah. is, is because <laughs> I'm trying to put block by block. I mean, I, I came from not, from having basically not played for six months because I was in Dubai. It was like 40 degrees every day. So yeah. before I came to play Wales, I had played nine holes and when I hit balls in the simulator three times. So I came from no golf whatsoever in six months. Yeah. And, what I'm trying to do now is that I'm trying to put piece after piece together to get some sort of, not habits, but to get some sort of form again, which I actually showed last week in France. So things are slowly falling in, in, into place. Uh, I would like to be in, in, obviously the end goal is to be in contention again and, and you know, to feel what's happening on, uh, on, on the last six holes on, on, on a Sunday, because let's be honest. I mean, that's, you miss that buzz of you. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course I do. I don't, I, I mean, I know myself well enough to know that I don't particularly like having these hundreds of scenarios in my head when you go to bed or you wake up in the morning when it's like four hours to go time. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're out on the course and, and, and things happen and you see them happening and you kind of dissect what's happening. And it's, um, it's, a it, that's one of the cool thing about this sport is that, you know, you can always take a, a step back because it's a slow sport. It's not like it happens yeah. quick. Yeah. You know, you can, you can look at stuff and, and really find a way to adapt to the scenario that's happening in front of you. Okay, am I one or two behind? I start to press on, or or or, or manage a lead, or uh, you know, that's that's what's um, really passionating about the sport. Yeah, that's what's keeping you going. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I even just today, I went and played eighteen holes on the old course today, and you know, I I got up, I got off the gates today, just hitting amazing shots, and there's nothing quite like it. Uh, 
you know, when you hit a six iron into the wind that draws the five yeah. yards that yeah. you had pictured and it takes the right bounce yeah. and it goes to three feet. Mm. I mean, it's better than serving an ace on center court. Yeah, well, Come that's on. what, like I was Come talking on. earlier, I mean, that's the, the artistic part of it. That's always, that's the best part of the game. It just, it just yeah, is. Yeah, you know. of course. I mean, I mean, you know, seeing the bounce and, and when the thing that you see comes out exactly, feels exactly like you have anticipated and it comes out exactly the way you want to and it does to a T what is required. I mean, it's, let's be honest. I mean, that's why it's the greatest game ever invented. Yeah, which is a good way to finish. Um, I think I speak for everybody um, listening to this that we wish you all the best with that going forward. Certainly, uh, uh, I got a bit of a fright when uh, you told me all about what was going on in your life earlier this year. So all the best for the future and thanks for your time. Thanks, Johnny. Well, that certainly puts paid to the notion that professional golfers are all bland. Terrific stuff there from John Huggan and Nicholas Colsart, who I must say is also proving a very worthwhile addition to the TV commentary space. Well, that's it for episode 78, and we're switching gears on our next when we travel to the UK to meet the founder of the Golf Society, a group bringing respite and quality of life to those suffering with conditions like dementia and Parkinson's disease. Well, Golfing Society is a social enterprise. Basically, it's about putting golf at the heart of local communities. And it's then about attracting people who are maybe facing a challenge in life to come and experience a happier, healthier, more connected life at their local golf club. That's Tony Blackburn, founder of the Golf Society, next time on The Thing About Golf. Golf.